This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hello, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. We are here today to talk about covers, which is very exciting. Uh, I feel like covers are one of the most visible and exciting parts of books, and we're going to talk all about them right now. Uh, so we have this exciting guest, Colleen A.F. Venable, who Hi. is here to talk to us about all of the secrets of covers. I like covers too, Gina. <gasps> I do. This is an amazing <laughs> reveal. <laughs> Colleen, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics and cover design, and what you're doing now? I have a very weird way of how I got into everything. So um, this is not necessarily the template for other people. Other than what I always say, the template for getting further in your career is don't be a jerk and work really hard. Two rules. (laughs) If you do those two rules, basically you can get anywhere. Uh, So how did I start being a designer? I was always into comics, obsessively. Um, Me and my sister would fight over who got the comics pages in the morning, and I would know I had woken up after her when I would turn the page, and it would be like, you know, the political comics. Um, So I was always really into those. And as I got older, I got really into web comics. And at this point, I was working in children's publishing, but I was working in marketing. I was doing conventions. um, I was talking to a lot of librarians and teachers. And I was always obsessed with the kids' books in general. And um, yeah, just got more and more into web comics, uh, started making those, started to get to know the comics community in general, which is also a great way to start working in comics, and uh, started doing ads as part of my marketing job. And they were, you know, what was it, like 15K animated GIFs. You couldn't make them, like, any bigger than that, it felt like, or else it broke shelf awareness somehow. Um, and this was a while ago. They're probably a little bigger now. Like, probably not up much. Up to 45. What? It's crazy. <laughs> so um, for a second at that point was in between designers, and they had been interviewing for probably about four months. It was a really long time. Oh, geez. And, um, and do you remember what year this was? 2008. Okay. Yeah, I believe 2008, maybe 2009. It was in an aught. <laughs> Late aught. In the indefinite past. Yes, exactly. Where cell phones were, I don't know, some people would put letters in their numbers. We were still making fun of the concept of the iPhone at that point. Exactly. And the yeah. iPad was like the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was like the iTampon. <laughs> I own one now. And that's sad. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I technically own two. What? <laughs> one for each hand. You have to. Come on. <laughs> Um, so they wanted me to an ad for Leica because Leica had just won a big award. So they needed somebody to do a GIF for Shelf Awareness. And I should also say GIF, GIF, not GIF. <laughs> oh, I'm with you on this one. Yeah. <laughs> me too. There's one person in our office that says GIF and every time everybody else's hair like just shove them into up. a locker. We're like graphics with a G. <laughs> uh, so I wound up doing a GIF of Leica, and it was just really lovely, and the art was so pretty, and there was this great page of Leica, like, jumping over the moon, and it was just, like, swirls of color, and I, I just had to say I remember this ad to this day. Oh, really? <laughs> but I guess I did this ad, and then Mark Siegel was like, who did this ad? I want to hire whoever did this ad. And they're like, uh, Gina, I think, was the one who was like, <laughs> she's right there. So Mark came Sorry. over to me and said, Colleen, do you know Photoshop? And my reply was... I know how to put heads on other people's bodies. What do you need? <laughs> so I thought he wanted me to do like a cheesy card or something. And he's like, will you work for me? And I was like so confused. Like no idea. At this point, I had never once opened InDesign. I never used Illustrator. I very barely knew Photoshop. I don't think I ever even used layers. Like if you went to look oh at those God. ads, you'd probably have a heart attack. Um, 
I just was kind of winging it because it became part of my job just because I wanted them to look prettier. And yeah, so I wound up getting hired. I went to night classes um, and weekend classes, intensives. I was on Gchat with Chad Beckerman uh, all day long, basically. <laughs> he's the designer over at Abrams. Yep, yep. He's, um, he did Wimpy Kid is the one he's most known for because there's like, you know, translations in like 92 countries. Um, but yeah, he helped me out a lot and would always be like, Colleen, just Google it. And I'd be like, you're faster than Google. <laughs> so I kind of learned how to design covers, coming at it more as a reader and a lover of books than from a design nerd standpoint. And I think that's actually one of the things that makes me a good designer is that I don't think of it as I'm trying to showcase my own art. You know, I think of it as what is the best thing for this story? What is the best thing for this book? And then I think about the reader that I would have been before. So that's kind of how I got into that. And from there, it was just, um, I got job offers based on individual covers, you know, like someone would see one book and um, I'd wound up getting a job offer somewhere else. So I wound up at Workman Publishing for a while based on my cover for Boxers and Saints at first second. And um, I actually just got hired back at Macmillan to start our own imprint, which is um, a nonfiction imprint, which is kind of uh, just really high-end, artsy, nerdy nonfiction, but oh, like delicious. with paper engineering and a lot of like really weird um, kind of like rethinking what a book can be. So it's really fun. Briefly, one of the things that I love, I did not know a lot of this. And the thing oh. that I think I love the most about it, actually, is I, I feel like there's this weird feeling of like, but if I, I'm not an expert in Photoshop, then I can't. It's like, look, yeah. you can learn how to use a tool. Mm -hmm. Like having experience is helpful, but like it really is about what are you trying to make with that tool? And like, it's just a tool. Yeah. And it's just—it's a—it's I mean, a fancy pencil. It's just another thing that makes marks. It's, it is, yeah. And I didn't never know filters existed, so I never used any of those filters everybody else uses. I'm like, no, I'm gonna scan the sidewalk. I'm gonna take pictures of the sidewalk and then have that be the sky. So I'm just like slamming a lens flare on everything. No, no lens flares. I don't think ever. Uh, so, as a designer, what is the day to day of your job like? Like, you go into work and then like what? What do you do? Well, I'm not a morning person, so I stare into space for like a half hour as, as everyone's like, Colleen, you're here. Uh, no, not really. Well, that's partially true. But day-to-day, um, -day, I mean, it's a little different. Now I'm technically a creative director, and I feel weird even saying that. So exciting. I know, which means I have a team of five designers. Um, when I worked at First Second, it was just me, which was amazing as a learning thing. And um, we kind of all the work. We kind of doubled our bookload. By the time I left there, so I was like, you know, uh, got very, very good friends with the cleaning people and the Saturday morning security guy. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. So today it's a lot of um, coming in and first I'm checking on how everybody's doing. I'm checking on where the projects are. Um, then I check in with all my artists. I kind of look and see who's been quiet, who may be struggling with their deadline. Even if the deadline is far away, I just kind of check in and be like, I love what you're doing. Like, this is awesome. Um, just a lot of checking in with people, I think. And um, when it comes to design, I think the relationship between you and the artist is so important. And a lot of artists see the designer as like the man or as like an adversary. And if you can come at it as a collaboration, it is the most fun experience because you're going to want to make it better. They're going to want to make it better. You're kind of working together back and forth. And I mean, I always hire people that I really adore. That's, again, don't be a jerk and I'll hire you. Um, yes. <laughs> and I just really like working with them. So they'll usually check in. At that point, there'll be probably one or two cover sketches that I'll be working with. So I'll go back and forth with the artists a bit. Um, yeah, I do some interiors, not as many anymore. 
Um, and I do most of the covers for our group, except for any designer that really wants to work on covers and wants to work on getting better at talking to illustrators, which sounds like a weird thing to learn, but I have very strict ideas, not strict, but I have very like firm ideas of what I would want if I was the person illustrating a book. Like I never want a wall of text. Don't give me a wall of text. I will read the first line. I'll be convinced you hate me and I've done everything wrong. So I always try to do visual notes to people. If I'm going to do something on a cover, I do really bad stick figures on top or swirls of like, you know, with the paintbrush and Photoshop, like nothing fancy. Never try to make it look like I'm trying to make the cover. And when they get their notes, they'll get an email that'll have like maybe like three bullets. It'll be like, hey, let's get all the overall, like all the yellows are looking a little murky, maybe like lean back on the cyan and here's another idea and try to make it as short as possible and make it really positive in the beginning and the end. So a lot of my job is just making sure everybody around me is happy enough to do really good work. Yeah. So it seems like design, like, you know, using Photoshop, Illustrator, that kind of like eye and sensibility as a skill. And communication is also a very important skill yeah, when you're absolutely. a cover designer. Also, I want to clarify something. Mm-hmm. Because for one thing, this seems to actually vary. And also for the yes. benefit of the listeners. Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned a bunch of job titles here. There's your own. And you talked about designers and illustrators and artists. Like, mm-hmm. who are the different people you're working with? And what are their responsibilities? So I have a team of four people. And three of them are basically interior designers. Um, Two of them like to do covers. One finds it very stressful, so I don't make him do covers. (laughs) (laughs) You have enough Um, interiors for them to do. We have way more than enough interiors. And one of them on staff is actually um, our kind of uh, engineer. So he does paper engineering. He does um, mechanical things if we have books like that. Um, And we kind of all check in with each other. And we actually all design the same interiors, too. It's a very weird structure in Odd Dot. if I was at first second, I would kind of be doing it all myself. So I would go in there and, again, the same thing I would do. I would kind of look at the status of every book and see where things were. I would check on the sketches. And usually one book would be in sketch phase while one was in colors. I do a lot of Photoshopping of lettering. Um, I still find that super zen and I miss that a lot to be like, here's this entire hand-lettered book. And this person's like, maybe didn't win the spelling bee. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a lot of like, I need an H. Where's an H? There's an H. Move the two letters apart. Put the H in. <laughs> like, it's just like, I find that so, uh, I love that. <laughs> so are the designers and like freelancing illustrators from outside the company? Like, do they have, are they responsible for that? Like, how does that? Um, we kind of talk about each book as a group. I have a whole list of illustrators I really want to work with, and I keep waiting for the right project to come along. Like, I have a big old, um, I have binders full of illustrators. Not binders. <laughs> it's, a, it's a spreadsheet, but still. Um, and we talk about, like, what we want for the look of the book, and then we start to brainstorm together about what artists may be the best. Um, a lot of places, the editor chooses the artist for the book, and I love that where I am, they really give a lot of like voice to the designers because the designers, like, are, they're the people that are the art nerds, you know, they're the people that are looking at all these Instagram accounts all day long and are like, have like 10 people that they're like super fans of and could not probably have a conversation with them because they love them so hard. Um, so we get to do that. So um, all the illustrators are outside of the house. And yeah, so that's a little different because, um, you know, when you get a graphic novel, most of the time you have it come like fairly complete. It's it's rare. It's fairly rare in um, trade comics to have 
a book that doesn't have an illustrator and to match them up. Um, it's getting a little less rare. I mean, in mainstream comics and superheroes, you always have the author, you always have the penciler, you have the inker, you have the colorist. As opposed to like, if you were working in comics, you'd be like, here's the artist who's going to draw your cover because he also drew this book or she also drew this yes. book. In and this case, be... it's more like, let's talk about who our dream illustrator is for this and see if they'll be willing to do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not the same thing where that you just kind of say like, here's my cover. Like that's never a thing that happens, or at least that I don't want to happen. And also like, one of my big beliefs is that your first idea is never your best idea, like not even close. Like maybe your fifth idea is, but even that is usually not your best idea. Like you have to really think about the cover because it's so different than the rest of the book. It's going to be seen in a different way. It's got to represent everything you really want the viewer to understand about the book and also be eye-catching. And um, it's a much more difficult process. And I think a lot of people think of like kind of quirky, smart ideas without thinking, is this actually a good cover? Like, oh, it's this amazing wraparound, but it's like, no one's going to ever bend back your paperback this way. No one will ever see this, you know? You'll see it when you post it on your website, but that's it. So like things like that to kind of bring it back and be like, really focus on this is a new thing. Let's take a step back. Let's like really think about this and take our time. So I like to take a few months to work on covers um, just yeah. to get that time to kind of get the ideas going and to also build that trust between me and the artist. And as part of that kind of like explaining kind of as you said, like how the covers are seen, how you how you look at them, um, like this is what a cover is supposed to do. So let's think of it not as um, like a gorgeous illustration, but as something that's going to catch your eye on the shelf or mm -hmm. as a, you know, one inch thumbnail, thumbnail. <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing, like, are you usually working with illustrators who draw covers or are you frequently like, look, I really like this art that you posted on Tumblr and I now have to explain to you gently in a way where it doesn't <laughs> feel like I'm telling you that you're an idiot, the difference between drawing a cover and drawing an illustration in the process of hiring you to do this. Uh, for my current job, there's a lot of people that have never done books before, which is kind of exciting. Um, you know, there was one woman that I just hired her for her first book. She did an incredible job, and she made her deadline with, like, three months to spare. Like, she's insane. Insane. She's, like, 22. She's incredible. Um, she had just done a series of fish, watercolor fish online, and I just found them so charming. Like she did one where it was like one day it was an uninflated blowfish. Next day it was the inflated blowfish. And I was just like, I love you. Who are you? Do you want to do something? Because like you could tell what I saw from her portfolio was her love of nonfiction, her love of nature and her love of like, because they were really beautifully rendered in a, a really interesting style. But you could tell she actually understood the anatomy of the fish underneath it. Um, and I find that fascinating, like reading all the first, second science comics, just watching people that are able to take things. Like Maris Wicks is like the queen of this. I was just going to say, like oh, a Rosemary so like Mosco or like a Maris Oh my Wicks gosh, those are like the two like, rock stars. If you haven't been reading them, seriously, guys, like get just drop your computer or whatever you're listening to this on. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe listen to the rest of this and then go read them. Like, so how does that conversation go? Do you just email her and be like, yo... <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to draw a cover for me? Well, I wound up having her do an entire interior. So, like, as we were working the interior, I kind of, like, talked to her about how the cover would go. And drop, and drop hints. You're like, yeah. the cover, so stressful. Yeah. <laughs> Leave time for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, it, we wound up choosing an artist to do the six covers for the series that was separate than that. So, mm -hmm. like, we had talked about covers and never even wound up doing a cover together. She still would be amazing at it because she did some really good, interesting um, full bleed, like, two-page spreads. But when I do have somebody that's never done a cover, I kind of talk to them about, like, what are your favorite covers? 
like, why do you think they're your favorite covers? You know, um, here's like, look online, what things jump out at you. And I always say like, you know, cover is got to work in a tiny thumbnail. And that doesn't mean it can't be detailed and it can't be gorgeous. I think a lot of people think it needs to be simple if it works in a thumbnail, but that's not true. It just has to be intriguing. And you can have the most crazy, gorgeous, detailed cover that looks e- like super interesting as a tiny little one-inch thumbnail. The covers for the Jeff Vandermeer trilogy really are. Oh like, my god, are very much like that. They're, they're so they're very striking, very small, and then these ridiculously elaborate kind and of. And there's a etching, bunny. Like, yeah, there's, there's a horrible, creepy bunny. <laughs> there's a creepy bunny in neon green. I am a fan of neon green on covers. I do not get to do that like ever. Yes. Um, also bunnies. I am a fan of bunnies as well. <laughs> so yeah, those covers. Like I, I pick those books up right away yes yeah, um, I just love them and like the V Schwab like the fact that all her covers are the black white and red it's just so like I see a tiny black white and red and I'm like oh, she's a new book out <laughs> like they don't even need to be like connected at all but you kind of visually get that um, the other thing I always tell um, illustrators is think about it not as one illustration think about it as three chances to make a kick-ass cover you have your front cover you have your spine which is the cover almost everybody's gonna see <laughs> and then you have your back cover and if one of those doesn't work, the person's not going to buy your book. I'm all about spines. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Like, my, my, one of my major triumphs for my book that's coming out soon was that I was, like, extremely insistent that there had to be character art on the spine. It's like an inch-wide spine. And I'm, realistically, <laughs> most people are going to see my book as a spine yeah. for yeah. most of its life. No, like, it's true. It's so true. And, like, again, like... I've seen small spines that work, but, like, if you have that big, fat spine, like, oh, my gosh, like, that is the greatest opportunity. You drew that giant book, now reap the benefits. Yeah, exactly. And don't just stick the cover. Like, so many times people forget about that. Or it's part of a wraparound that makes no sense in a sliver. You know, even if you have that sliver, even if you want to have those, like, colors going across the spine, still make something on there that is, like, the same thing as your front cover. It's got to work really far away in a bookstore. So imagine that spine, like... On your computer, scroll it down till it's the tiniest little thing. And if it doesn't look like something cool, like, guess what? Got to keep working. Um, Same thing with, like, I'm a big fan of unfocusing your eyes or stepping away from it. And, again, like, just look where your eyes go. And if they're not going to what you want to be the focal point of either your spine or your front cover, like, you got to start working again. (laughs) So can you actually take us through um, the design process for a graphic novel that you worked on? Sure. Um, The cover design process specifically. Well, I could could talk about Boxers and Saints because that's Gene Yang and he's the most amazing man in the world. Please do tell us about Dreamy Gene Yang's book. Gene Yang. Boxers and Saints. (laughs) Gene has given me my theory that um, there are really good artists in the world that are really wonderful to work with. And there's great artists, and some of them can be really difficult to work with. And then there's absolute geniuses, and they are incredible to work with. And that's Gene. There's like four people that I would put in that category, and Gene is one of them. Um, It's just such a pleasure. And the reason why he got to genius level is because he thinks about things. He's thoughtful about things. He takes notes. He likes collaboration. Um, What I'm really proud of about Boxers and Saints was there was this challenge about this. If you don't know the book, it's about the Boxer Rebellion in China. It's told from two different sides. So the one is from the Chinese Rebellion, um, and the other is from a girl that actually converts to Christianity and is living with the Christians there. And it was 
huge, huge book. It would have been, what, 600-something pages if it was published as one. It would have broken people's arms in the subway. So we didn't do that. We decided to publish it as two separate books that kind of were companions. Um, And there really is, there's some crossover. You see the two characters throughout, but it's really two stories that work individually. But when you read them both together, it, like, adds this, like, extra, like, punch in the gut. It's amazing. So the challenge was how do you take these two stories and make the two covers feel connected? And a bigger challenge for that was we loved this book and we wanted it to be eligible for some big awards. So unfortunately, you can't win the National Book Award for two books. So we had to figure out a way to make it eligible. And that became a challenge for me, which was actually really fun to be like, how do you get these two books to be in a box set? And how do you make it so that you feel like if you've only read one, you've gotten only half the story? Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, the whole box has to work together, exactly. yeah. as do the two covers. Yeah. Yeah. So Gene's um, first book with first second was American Born Chinese, which, you know, won every award in the world. Literally changed the face of graphic novels. Exactly. Just, you know, whatever. <laughs> Saturday. And so Gene uh, is one of these people that... He, for some reason, is convinced he's bad at covers, which I don't understand because he's done so many amazing covers. But he just – he thinks a lot. He's a thoughtful person. So he's like, they're just really tough. They're hard. Can you help me kind of come up with ideas? And I started thinking back about American Born Chinese. And the cover is really great. I believe Mark did the cover, Mark Siegel. It's got – um this beautiful bright yellow and it's got half of the boy's face that you see on the front cover. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of make a little callback to that to say like, this is, you know, a Chinese American story. And these are two other stories about the Chinese experience. And like, this is kind of a bigger, grander scale. So I wanted it to be, again, the half a face, um, but have it be bigger and take up more of the cover and have it so that when you put the two books next to each other, the two characters faces lined up perfect. Um, and kind of, you know, actually looked like one face. And even like little things like the first book says boxers, and then there's part of an ampersand that just kind of looks like filigree. But when you put it next to the other one, it says and saints. And same thing with the spine, there's an ampersand that goes across it too. Um, so with that, I had drawn like a really like, to say it was rough is like rough, rough. It's, mm-hmm. It was, you know, it might as well have been Microsoft Paint. I just like did circle, circle, half a face, half a face, faces connect, and then like scribble text. And I gave that to Gene. And we went back and forth probably like 10 times. And he really like nailed their images right away. Um, but it was mostly figuring out what the background would be that would really bring their faces forward and also make each book feel different. One had to feel like very colorful and very... Um, with, about like all the Chinese gods and the other one we were she has this ongoing conversation with Joan of Arc and usually it's in these like kind of deep brownish grayish tones and she's kind of glowing yellow um so kind of bringing those two together and we did I don't even know how many backgrounds I did with Jean and while we were doing the backgrounds we kept working on lining up the face so it was like how do we make their eyes look the same thing but make them still look like themselves so like if you look at the front cover and you compare it to the interior art you'll be like wait a minute his eyes a smidge higher than usual and her mouth a smidge taller than usual, but you would never notice on the cover. We don't want that in some horrible, uncanny valley of like yeah. slapped together dolls or something. I mean, like, you, yeah. Exactly. You had to make it look charming and interesting and compelling and not un- unnerving. And he did such a great job with that. And when you hold the two books together, it just feels they feel so connected. Even like the collar of her shirt and his shirt kind of come together in a nice way. And um, the box set was great too because, you know, I actually, for the first time in my life, got to do a wordless 
cover. So I got to be like, I could just take off all these words and just have like his beautiful art. And it wound up being, um, you know, the boy character with the one god behind him. And it's all this fire and blue and orange. And then the really quiet female like cover with like the um, Joan of Arc, like kind of floating in the background, like all kind of creepy. Am I remembering correctly? These were only sold as a box set. Like they weren't sold individually. They were sold individually. Um, We released it at the same time, but I think the box set took off so much more. When I've seen it recently, it's always been in that format. That's why I'm wondering. And the other thing that I'm really proud of, and this is something when it comes to cover design, when you're doing covers, especially at a big publisher, it's not just about the image. It's about the texture, the way it feels in your hand. Um, So for these books, we actually did. It was like a lovely matte texture and I believe spot gloss. Maybe not. I don't think we had money for spot gloss. No spot gloss. I wanted it, but we didn't get it. But um, (laughs) what we did get, though, was the box. So a lot of times when you get a box, it feels like it's just like a folded up piece of paper that's like shoved two books inside of it. And I got to work with this production manager, Alexa, and uh, she's incredible. And we we actually interviewed her for Did you? Oh, I love her. I think it is the one immediately prior to this. Yeah, she's great. (laughs) That's great. So we wanted to be like, what is the sturdiest box we could make? So like when you hold it, it feels like it should win an award. Like you don't even have to read it and be like, give this thing an award. This, this the weight like of legitimacy. Award. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanted with the box that was so sturdy I could stand on it and it didn't collapse. And I am not a tiny girl. So <laughs> <laughs> this is like, it wound up being, oh, it's so, it's so pretty. And I think like a couple reprints later, we had to go a slightly thinner box, which is still really beautiful. But that if you can find a first edition of Boxers and Saints, that box is like the most beautiful box. I'm very, very proud of being involved with that book for a hundred million reasons. Um, but it was just the experience of working with Jean and just having like every single day we went back and forth for probably like a month, just like tightening and tightening and tightening and getting their faces to line up and um, just really happy with the the outcome of it. Yeah, and box sets are also exciting because they have three more spines. I know. And it's so fat. <laughs> so much real estate. <laughs> exactly. Though it's like, it's always a question in the bookstore. Like, do they put your book spines multiple out or do they put box set spine out i'm usually seeing them multiple spines out right yeah but it's nice to have options so you're going through this process is the process in general always the same you know is it always like a month of going back and forth do people sometimes get an idea really early like what what kind of changes about this it definitely is different for everyone some people thrive on the thumbnail stage and they want to just keep doing like, and when I say thumbnails, I mean like no one else would understand what they were drawing. Like this is a circle, here's a square and a triangle. This is my cover. And I'd be like, okay. And that's usually what I like to work with because that's the way you could really figure out how to get a strong composition. If you start getting into the details, you start to lose a little bit. The same thing with um, a designer that's working on, let's say like a, a prose cover, like let's say they're doing type. Like, I am always a big believer, like, doodle everything on paper first. Because if you're in Photoshop, you're just going to be, like, pixel up, pixel down, pixel up. And just, like, you could spend hours, like, trying to fix something that may not have been a good idea to begin with. So um, some artists, it's taken, I know, <laughs> there's a few uh, that was, like, 40-something thumbnails. Uh, and it wasn't that they weren't good. They were so good. It was just we found one or two directions and we kept getting them tighter and tighter and tighter until finally we're like, oh my gosh, we did so many. Kind of circling it. Yeah, yeah, and trying to figure out what makes them work. Um, some artists are will hand me final art right away. Um, 
a lot of times then I'll kind of give them suggestions because usually like, again, a piece of art that works in the interior doesn't necessarily work as a cover. Like I'm a big believer in having, you know, things come for making sure there's like the three planes, like really having a nice background and having it feel like you're actually kind of going into the book. So like Zeta the Space Girl is a good example where it's like she's there so front and center. And that was a fairly early sketch that Ben did. But the background took us a while to figure out like, how do we get this crazy world behind her without it overpowering her? And, you know, just we kept making her bigger and bigger until she's like standing on this platform and kind of breaking into the text a little bit. And um, just the waving of the cape. I remember when we finally got that sketch, I was like, oh, it's here. (laughs) (laughs) And um, again, like I I love working with Ben and the whole process, I think, was really fun for both of us each time. Um, Yeah, so it's very different with every artist. It is. and the only times I've ever had a cover come out that I'm like kind of like, I don't want my name on that one. Um, I never actually did that, I don't believe. <laughs> but it was when somebody was like, I had this idea. And that's it. You know, and they give me the cover, they give me the text or the type and kind of very. Um, and usually it's good. It's good. Yeah. But it's never been great. When someone's done that. So here's a weird question. And I'm sure this varies again from publisher to publisher and place to place. But, like, ultimately, like, whose call is this? Like, if the author is just, like, especially for something like a graphic novel, like, no, fuck off. I want, (laughs) this is my cover. Like, can they do that? Like, can they, like, if there ends up being, like, a big disagreement... Who makes the final call on that? Is it the author? Is it the editor? Like, does it get escalated up to the publisher? Do you just get to, like, you know, swing your axe around? And I mean, I'm, I don't have an axe yet. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just a mace. No, um, it kind of depends on the place. Like, a lot of places, the editor has a lot of say. Sometimes they have more say than the designer or the art director. A lot of times they do. But it's really, it comes down to sales and the publisher, whether they think that this is a cover that will sell. Um, you never want the artist to be unhappy with their cover. And I especially don't want that. Especially, of course, this is like the nightmare scenario yeah. when you're having an actual argument about these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it comes down to, if it really becomes a big argument, it's like, how much do I want to work with this person again? If you really desperately want to work with them again and think they're like incredible creator, you have to figure out a way to make them happy or else you're not going to work with them again. If it's someone that, you know, you don't have any other books coming down the line, you could be like, well, you know, I guess I lost this battle. You know, um, when it comes to actual contracts, barely anyone has cover consultation in there, even cover consultation, not even cover approval. I don't want to suggest people to add this to their contract, but that cover consultation is something definitely. Because I do know some houses where I've heard nightmare stories where the artist basically sees their book when it's like finished with a cover that they're not happy with and weren't asked to do where their arm is of a character is photoshopped the opposite way. And I mean, usually this doesn't happen as much in comics as it does in like prose, for example. Prose, it happens a ton. A comics person is going to be like, whatever has happened with this cover, it's made with my art. Like, you know, they didn't surprise get someone to draw the cover (laughs) when my entire art is the interior unless you're in superhero comics which that's that's a whole whole other nightmare Uh that's a whole other podcast but you're not going to be like oh look here's my finished book oh i guess they hired someone else to draw the cover for it what a surprise um but 
Yes, I agree that writing cover consultation or approval into your contract, if you would like yeah. the the cover to look how you want, is good. Well, approval is hard. Approval, I don't think anybody gets. I don't even know if like JK gets approval. I guess she does, but <laughs> probably not contractually. But it's again yeah. that thing. They definitely want to work with her again, so they're gonna. Yeah. Let her have a say. But again, like even if you even if you have that in your contract, it's kind of it, it's it's still a discussion, right? Yeah. Like that's not a just like by fiat. I have decided that the cover is going to be X. It's it's a whole process. Yeah. Each time. But I mean, of course, like obviously, you don't ever want to get to this point where people are quibbling over whether or not they're contractually able to. Tell I know. You to I know. Then cover. it's going to hurt so your like, relationship in general. So, like, but I mean, that said, like, because I definitely feel like I mean, I've had many conversations with. I mean, obviously, with prose authors, that's the whole other kettle of fish. But like yeah. for graphic novelists specifically, I had conversations with them where they're not happy about some part of how the cover process went, and I always feel like. And by the way, nobody who's worked with you, of what? course. Um, <laughs> no, no where, where, it's, where it's like, I feel like a lot of it comes down to nobody has explained to them mm-hmm. why these things are happening. And frequently, the, the um, part of the conversation is me being like, well, I think that that sounds like maybe what's going on is, and it sucks because this is always like six months after it's over. And yeah. So, I mean, is that part, do you feel like that's part of your job? Oh, yeah, sort of like sitting down with them and being like, okay, I know that you hate yeah. the color red, yeah. but I really think this cover needs to be red and I'm going to explain to you why and it has to do with stuff that you think is bullshit. But also, <laughs> I think you're going to sell 3,000 more copies if your book is red and here's why. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, there's that and there's also just the communication as you go along. So if somebody's been working for months and then there's like this dead zone when the book is being designed and they don't get anyone talking to them and then someone gives them a cover with Comic Sans or Papyrus or fat which is the worst font ever you could look it up it's horrible um <laughs> but like then yeah. i think that's this moment of like you feel so betrayed because you've been out of communication but if you're talking the whole time you feel like you already have the ability to say your feelings and i think too telling them as like okay i'm bringing it to this cover meeting and i'm bringing it to this and letting them know how it went i think they understand that there's more of a process and it's not just you being like i don't like you i'm gonna make a bad cover for you like it's just like you're um, an ally yeah. in the process yeah. of navigating this whole jump morass of people having opinions about your cover. And so speaking of that, can yeah. you kind of walk <laughs> us through the process in-house? You know, okay. So you talked all about like working with the author, but how does it unfold working with the editor and the publisher and the salespeople? And you mentioned cover meetings, too. Yeah. So what happens is in the thumbnail stage, um, I'll get all the thumbnails. I'll kind of develop my own thoughts, and then I'll go and bring them to the editor. And we'll kind of sit down, we'll talk about it, and I'll tell them which ones I'm leaning towards, they'll tell me which ones they're leaning towards. And at that point, I'll come back to the illustrator, usually circle the ones on the sheet. Again, visual, don't just tell them number three, because then they have to be like, which one's number three? Like, just make that one step less they have to do. Like, these are visual people you're talking to. So circle number three and be like, bigger face or something, like really (laughs) scribbled on there. Like, uh, make it look like I'm a third grader, (laughs) giving them notes. But I think that also makes them comfortable to be like, they trust me. from there, we'll go to another round of thumbnails. Again, I'll talk to the um, the editor. Every time I talk to the editor, I'm a big believer in talking with the editor the whole time. Once we get an image we really like at that point, um, depending on if the, Im- the lettering has been worked into the image or if it's something I'm adding afterwards, um, again, I'll talk with the editor a lot. Um, I'm actually a, a weirdo because I like the editor standing over my shoulder while I design, which I don't know many people that like that, but I like the instant feedback of like, I'll try like 
something with the type and they'll be like, oh, yes. Oh, wait, no, no. Like, and just having their gut reactions. So like a co-pilot. Yeah, yeah. And it has to be an editor you trust. A lot of them, a lot of editors want to do that. Um, and if you are a designer, it is very much within your rights to say like, hey, I actually just need a few minutes, like, or more than that, I need a day. <laughs> like, I'll show it to you tomorrow. I feel uncomfortable if anybody's watching me working at, you know, stifles my creativity. Like, that is something you should be able to say to your boss. If your boss does not accept that, maybe find a new boss. Um, but I actually like the editors doing this. So once we get to a cover that we're happy with, at that point, we'll usually show it to a higher up. Um, so in the case of working it for a second, it would be me and Callista and Mark usually talking about it the whole time. Um, Gina would also be talking about it just because she was such an integral part of our team. Um, that's not usually something that you have, but that was like a blessing there, which was the best. And then at that point, <laughs> I know I miss it. Um, at that point, we would show it to Simon Bowden, who was the publisher of Roinbrook before it went to a cover meeting and he would have thoughts on it. Um, didn't always agree. So that's a point where you might be like, oh, we have to reapproach this. Yeah. We have to make small changes or maybe this this approach is not working for, you know, people who haven't been embroiled in this book for the yes. last two years of their lives. You'd be like, this doesn't work for somebody that hasn't read the book. Like, that's a big Which thing. Which is hugely to... valuable because oh, yeah. you're gonna, that's who's going to buy the book. That's hopefully who's yeah. buying your book. I mean, your mom's going to buy it too, but. <laughs> um, so that's a big part of it. And also, whenever I write to them, I never say I, I, I. I always make sure to say, like, let's do this or, like, try not to make it that it's us versus them. I always am like, let's, like together, all of us, let's get this great cover together. Um, I, if I ever write I in an email, I make sure to take it out. Um, I always call higher ups bigwigs because I think it just kind of like, it's better than saying the publisher thinks this because they're like, oh my God, the publisher doesn't like it. But you're like, oh, bigwig doesn't like it, whatever. Um, but it's like little things like that that I think um, – help make it easier for them to understand that you are on their side and you want the best cover possible. Even if that's not the best cover, you are on their side to help get them to the best cover possible. So once the publisher loves it, that's when you go to cover meeting with all of sales. And cover sometimes like a marketing and publicity team. Exactly. Um, if they're not involved already. Yes. Like the school and library team will be there. Publicity will be there. Sales will be there. And this is like sales. Some do independent bookstores. Some do Costco. Some do... Um, you know, Scholastic Book Club. So it's like very different markets. Like what Costco wants is not necessarily the same that like the independent comic book store is going to want. And we sit in a room and present the covers on a big screen and everyone gives their feedback. Um, the thing to be aware of then is kind of reading the room. If you're the last cover on the list and they've already had a long meeting, you know you're going to get more feedback. Like you kind of have to figure out what are the important things that they're saying. Are they really reacting to this in a certain way? Or are they just having a gut reaction because they don't like dogs? You know, so are they cranky because they haven't had lunch yet. Exactly, exactly. So kind of figuring out the takeaways from that. And a lot of times they'll say things that are really unhelpful, like make it more teen. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> like <laughs> what? Slap skateboard yeah, there, like you yeah. got it. Rad. Um, <laughs> That's like, like you add the word rad. So trying to like not take it personally. And for a designer, that is when you have to have your thick skin, like put your thick skin coat on. That sounds disgusting. I'm going to pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> like, I went all silence of the lambs just now. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's the point where you have to take it and don't don't take the comments personally. Try to figure out where they're coming from because even if it's a comment you don't agree with, it's coming from somewhere. So there's something not working. 
Again, it might be they hate dogs, but something is there, and you have to kind of like this is when you become like the Nancy Drew of designers. Like you got to figure that's like out a huge part of the skill set is yeah. listening to like people whose job is not talking about art, not like something, yes. and figure out okay why what the reason you gave was almost definitely not accurate. <laughs> No, like, because you probably don't actually understand why you don't like this, and you don't want to look like an idiot, so Mm -hmm. you're trying to come up with a reason, and I respect that. Yeah. But what you said is bullshit. So So I said... I just go back to Photoshop, and I do the more teen filter, and I just (laughs) up that all the way, and, like... Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's definitely... Especially when people give you contrasting thoughts in the meeting, and then nobody makes a decision. So you leave the meeting, you're like, I'm supposed to make it this and this. Like, it has I, to be more red and more blue. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, and everybody's like, purple here. And I think that's when you get bad covers, when you try to take everybody's thoughts. You have to figure out which ones are the ones that are more valid to what you're working on and figure out how to make something that the other people are going to respond to in a positive way as well. Yeah. And you do have to weigh the feedback based on who's speaking, yeah. right? So if it's it's a book where you're like, we want this to be a major award winner, maybe the feedback from the school and library team is more important than the Costco, Costco yeah. uh, person's feedback. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. If it's like, I want every parent in the country to buy this book for their child, yeah. then the Costco person is like, your person exactly like yeah. maybe get rid of the cigarettes and all the f words on the cover yeah. uh, but a <laughs> Somehow, lot of times there. you know those people from who work with different accounts will come to the room and be like we've been hearing from independent bookstores that they want the title this. type on the top third because they're putting their graphic novels in waterfall displays yeah or, or there's the spinner racks or there's the things like that like all these rules that you have for different stores where they're like you can't put the title here like every yeah. rule is kind of meant to be broken and you can give like 10 examples of books that have done incredible that put the title there you know (laughs) but at the same time like you know when you have an account like barnes and noble or the scholastic book fairs like places that buy a lot of books and they come back and they're like well we're not buying green covers this season because we did the math (laughs) on all the books that we bought last season and the green covers sold worse then maybe you're like this is an incorrect decision, but also we would like B&N to stock this book. Yeah. Makes me think, though, so like a thing that I, again, when I had these conversations with various people who are frustrated about some aspect of the cover process, Mm -hmm. usually that they've had to redraw it like four times or something, a lot of what times what I end up telling them, and I'm curious because I've been telling people this, so if I'm wrong, I need to stop telling people this, (laughs) which is that sometimes it as much as you might be justifiably annoyed with the situation, it's a really good sign because if they care that much about your cover, usually that's a good thing. Like if they're like, yeah, we keep getting feedback from all these booksellers and we really, really want this bookseller to pick this up. So we're just going to put this book cover through like four different rounds of slightly different revisions. Like most books don't get that level of scrutiny yeah, because it's a lot of it's people's time. And resources and people have strong opinions when they're like, I really want to sell this book because I'm excited about it. So, I mean, that's the sense that I usually get. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think one thing I will say is that my goal is never to have people like they're going to do lots and lots of thumbnails, like like 40 thumbnails, maybe not 40, but like 10 to 40 (laughs) thumbnails. But when it comes to actual pencils, maybe they'll do five. So I want to get everybody on board in the pencil stage and in a really rough color stage. Like, I don't want them to have to do final art. Um, one main 
piece and then it'll get tightened a little. So like to do final art four times, that is a lot. And I think that happens with a lot of people because sometimes like uh, the artist too will get really excitable and just go right to final. And it's like, wait, we just did a a stick figure thumbnail. Like (laughs) maybe take it back a step. Um, So making sure that that's clear that like we have to have these stages and showing it too. Like I actually bring um, sketches to cover me to make sure they know the approach of it. And if they don't like the approach, like we could back up without, you know, having somebody's like every other weekend is doing a new cover. So, yeah. And of course, sometimes that happens, right? It does happen. Sometimes you get all the way through the process and then you're like, well, we took this book to show to the actual people at the Scholastic Mm -hmm. Book Fairs and they were like, we would like 100,000 copies of this, but the cover needs to be different and have a dandelion on it. And that's the exact situation that I've yeah. had some people be in. And I'm like, this really be happy. sucks, and I'm going to buy you a drink. But this is, believe it or not, this is a good thing. And also, you have this awesome extra art now. You got, like, that's bonus true. material. Make postcards out of it. Yeah. But yeah, like, so when, I mean, from uh, my books that I recently did, yeah, it was, like, 30 or 40 black and white thumbnails. And then I think I did, like, a bunch of different color versions of, like, the top four to six of them that had been... The, the art got a little tightened. Mm. And yeah, but then I only actually ended up having to draw the final cover one yeah. time because of that, which was nice. It is good. That's, like, the ideal world. It doesn't always happen, but you try to. Um, also, one thing I'll say about, like, Gina saying at one point, I remember them telling us that yellow covers didn't sell, and then yeah. American-born Chinese happened, and they were like, <laughs> oh, yellow covers are great. Um, and back then, they used to always tell people to do red covers because they stood out so much. Now, if you do a bright red cover online, it vibrates. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it all depends on the medium that's going to be the, your biggest sales. If you're planning to have a lot of, like, indie bookstore sales, like, yes, like, this super vibrant red is great. But if you're planning on it being a ton of Amazon things, maybe don't make people want to vomit when they look at your cover. <laughs> you know, like, red and neon green. Woo! Um, so... <laughs> Obviously, the authors are super involved in the cover art, especially if it's a comic and they are the author illustrator who's making the art. But what about the title type? How does how does that work? I just scroll through the fonts with my eyes closed and just choose one and just get it. I one thing that Mark Siegel taught me was to look through the entire font library every time I do a cover, and I still do this. I also do that. Yeah. So and it's just it's it's a day. It's a day of scrolling. I'm like basically sitting to the point that my head is at the bottom of my chair, like laying down almost in my chair. And I just go through them. And I actually a lot of times don't even wind up using a font. I find a font that feels like the right approach. Um, I'll make lettering based on a font um, or I'll basically kind of do a rough layout and have the artist actually have their I liked a lot of times to have the artist have their hand on it so it felt organic with the rest of the art and also then it had its own like a little bit of life to it and um, a little bit of variety and I never wanted people to see it and be like oh that's that font and there are definitely covers that I did that where you could like just guess the font you know by looking at it but I loved it when it was something a little different like the Andre the Giant cover which I'm really proud of um it has this giant big lettering and a spotlight and a tiny little Andre at the bottom which I thought was really nice contrast to the whole like Andre the Giant and then he's just really quiet at the bottom um and that was just you know tissue paper and drawing lettering and um then kind of figuring out that sky is actually uh fireworks from fourth of july on a roof in greenpoint um yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like 
even though um, the artist is drawing the art, they may not be kind of as involved with the the title type. Yeah. And sometimes they are. Sometimes I'll kind of have an idea or they'll have an idea and we'll go back and forth. I think the Zeta, the Space Girl cover actually started as the title type. And we worked around that because he had this lovely little logo for Zeta. Um, and yeah, a lot of times uh, it'll be just the designer kind of putting the type on, especially if it's like a more straightforward cover. You've left a big chunk for type. It'll be very nice and clean. Um, so that is something that a lot of artists are good at lettering. A lot of them are great at hand lettering text, but when it comes to actual like decorative hand lettering, um, I think it's one of those things that you should realize what your weak points are and think that that's mine. Yeah, the designer is <laughs> professional at this, and they they do lettering every day and see what they will do before you feel so adamant that no, it has to be my handwriting, and maybe say like, okay, it could still be your hand, but how about we see what they do first? And people are often surprised and saying like how well things work, and you know the lettering is not meant to overshadow the art if you're doing it right. It's meant to feel part of it, but also be just eye-catching in a way. Um, I'm always a big believer that type comes second. So I like it to be you look at the image first and then it brings you into the type. Some people feel opposite that it should be like the title is like smacking you in the face and then you're like, oh, and that's pretty. Um, But I always want it to kind of feel like intriguing with the art. So again, it's just design preference. So what what do you say the hardest part is? Or is that an individual thing? Are you like, as a designer, I find this difficult, but these people that I work with find this part really easy? I think it's different designers have different problems. Some people have a really big problem with the cover meeting. I usually don't have that much of a problem with the cover meeting. Um, yeah, but I know people who are kind of like, I go to that meeting and it's an hour long. And, and like, then after that, for two hours, I just have to like sit quietly yeah. and <laughs> like read some web comics. And it's just like so stressful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And other people find it so stressful to communicate with the artist or they find it so stressful to show it to their publisher. There's always going to be a stage. Um The stage I find most stressful is every single cover I get imposter syndrome. Every single cover I sit down and I'm staring at it and I'm just like, I can't do this. Like, like, I'm a child with crayons. What am I doing? Yeah, like how did this happen these other times? Who made those covers? (laughs) Because the first, like, especially when you're doing type on a beautiful piece of artwork, you're working with this beautiful piece of artwork and you're doing this crap type. And I guarantee you what you're doing is crap at first. And it's crap for like a long time until it's not. And you just have to keep trusting the, that little voice in the back of your head that's like, hey, actually, no, you're going to get there. And the bigger voice in the front of your head is like, yeah, whatever. Um, so it's a matter of just being super persistent. I don't actually think I'm necessarily an incredible designer. I think I am stubborn as all hell. I think I am stubborn and I know what I like as a reader. And I will keep working until I see a cover that I think if I was – you know, this reader that this book was intended for, if I was a 12-year-old kid, if I was a 45-year-old man, I would want to see this book and I would want to have, I would need to have it. It would just have to be like, it would speak to me. Well, I would argue that that thoughtfulness is more important than any kind of like weird arbitrary measure of like designer skill. Like that is a giant skill is taking a second to have some humility of like, I need to actually think about this. The first thing I do isn't going to be genius. And like actually (laughs) bothering to think about stuff like that. I mean, I feel like and having a lot of experience of knowing which stuff has worked and which hasn't worked. I actually had a argument on a panel once and I won't name the designer, but the (laughs) argument was 
whether or not you should be able to tell who the designer was when you look at a book. And my belief is no. If you are doing right to the book, the book is for the reader. The book yeah. is for – I mean, if you were talking to sales, it would be like, it's for the buyer. And I was like, same difference, you know, whatever. Um, the kid will tell their mom to buy it. <laughs> but it's – in for my mind, it's for the reader. And every single book should be approached, like, thinking about the story and thinking about the person that needs that story and the person that wants that story. If you were able to look at a cover and be like, oh, that's a Colleen, like, I'd actually probably be upset. I like when people are like, oh, what a pretty cover. Oh, it's Colleen. Like, that's what I want. Because um, I don't want to be in a rut. I'm confused by painters that used to have, like, periods where they're like, now everything is blue. It's like, why? That sounds so freaking boring. Why wouldn't you want to do something new every time? Um, and again, it's, it's it's I think for some people it's an ego thing. Um, and I think that a lot of people that feel that way are not big readers. They're art nerds and they're designers that, like, really focus on design. And um, I think caring about the story is something that makes an incredible designer. So you are saying that you're working on the covers and there's a while that they're terrible. Can yeah. you kind of talk about that timeline? Not just the timeline of terribleness, but the timeline of when a cover process starts and when it gets finished. You're like, what's the what's the scale? Because we, we did talk to another designer, another publisher, where the scale was like six to eight weeks. And I think it's a little longer than that. Six to eight weeks of here is this book that needs to go to the printer. And then eight weeks later, it went to the printer. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, uh. so maybe that's not the case at either at First Second or Workman or Odd Dot. Maybe you have a little longer of a design period. Right now at Odd Dot, we don't. But that's because we had no books and we had to make books real fast. So that was thank you all the uh, artists that worked on those books really fast. Um, I mean, in my ideal world, I would say two months would be what I would want. Um from first conversation to thumbnails to this, to go through sales, to have everything solid. And I'd want that to be solid pretty far before everything goes to the printer. Um, again, I'm talking mostly about the front cover. The back cover usually happens later. So that conversation is a year before the book is published, a little more, a little less. I would say it's like, um, like three months before it goes to the printer. Yeah. And then it goes to the printer and then... Depending on your publisher, um, it could take a year from there to get published. It could take six months. It also depends on if it's color book, if it's going overseas, if it's, you know, got crazy paper stock you got to get from this particular printer. And um, so there's a lot of factors into it. Um, I There's a lot of books, too, that you need the covers much earlier than to printer for sales materials. You know, if they're doing a catalog, um, if they're doing a brochure, if they're doing a blad, which is just, you know, 16 pages of your book that pass around to every librarian in the country to be like, read this and then get addicted and then buy the book. So there's a lot of times you need the cover way before that. I just had the, I have to deliver this, the cover for the second volume of my book much earlier than I did for the first book because they want to put a tiny thumbnail on, on the, the back first of the book. first book that comes out in February. Yeah. So that's I'm like, that is, a pro that is a deadline that I cannot miss. <laughs> Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, I'm very excited, but I'm also like, this explains, when they, they just sent me the jacket mock-up, and I'm like, that explains why she's very insistent on me getting my cover in on time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes it'll be like, you know, I know when we did the Olympians, we had a whole bunch of those covers on the back in the oh, very yeah. beginning, and it was just like, ah! Like, <laughs> well, then it's done. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> the first six covers are done before, mm. a year before the first book comes out. Exactly. So... What advice do you have for people who want to be a cover designer? 
online portfolio is really important. Um, beyond Instagram, uh, do covers for books you love. Like that's a lot of the people I found are because they've done like, I did a cover from Mixed Up Files. And it's like, yeah. you know, they just did something that they were really passionate about. Um, yeah. And if it was going to be someone that you would hire to like work with you at yeah. Dot. Yeah, definitely um, having a good portfolio. Um, Do you make- think they have to have a degree? No, absolutely no. <laughs> Sorry, that was probably a, a leading question. <laughs> no, no. Obviously, you just gave us your entire backstory. <laughs> it's it's something that I, you get asked so many times. Yeah. And I keep telling people no, but I want other people to also back me up on this one. I mean, it, the problem is some companies go directly through HR, and HR wants the degree. They want you to, to have all this experience in the exact field. What I want is someone with a really good eye who really loves books and is driven to um, work hard at it, you know, and wants it as a career, doesn't want it just as a job. I think that's what I really look for. Um, one thing I've prided myself on is I don't limit it to people that live in New York, which I think a lot of companies do. Um, I feel very comfortable having Skype interviews. Um, I've hired two people that didn't live in New York and they were the two greatest. They're so great. They're going to be all of our bosses, like in probably a year. They're so good. They told me like how many things they applied for and how they got no callbacks. And I was like, I don't understand. Your portfolio is incredible. And it was just people were like set in their ways. So I think when it comes to um, having a really good online portfolio, making sure if you are outside of New York, making sure in your cover letter, the best way to say it is I'm planning to move to New York anyway. So then they're like, oh, okay, like th- this person's going to be here eventually anyway. And meanwhile, it's like they're planning to move to New York if they ever get a job in New York, which happened with both of them. Yeah, um, yeah portfolios, again, uh, really, I'm a big believer too, that you should be able to write a nice cover letter to be a designer. Um, so that's communication, very important. Yeah, a nice cover letter. I actually do a test when I hire people, which is in the very, the very last line of the description of the job, I say, name one book that you love the design of and why. And this was actually a really interesting study because when the first time I did that, um, we had, I think it was, 85% of the men that applied did not do it. Mm-hmm. And 90% of the women did. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and it's, it's again, I don't think it's a gender thing. I think I hate, I hate that the minute you said you put I know. Like, dudes absolutely didn't do that. And it's, 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 an it's, it's, again, I have to say, like, it's, again, it's not because, like, that's oh, what testosterone does. No, it's because they were taught that they deserved these jobs because they were men and they were designers and they were, like, you know, their teachers patted them on the heads more. And, you know, it just, it's, it's horribly part of our culture that they women are... They had that horrible anxiety. Yeah. So they need to be perfect <laughs> at all times and follow all instructions to the letter yeah. or we'll get burned alive. But it was the best. It was like, I was just like, nope. <laughs> I got to throw out all these applications. You didn't even have to look. I do not even look at their resumes. There could have been like Chip Kid in there and I would be like, nope. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Because they have to be able to read editor's notes. They have to be able to communicate by email like if you can't read maybe you shouldn't work in books i don't know that's my thought um so that was a, a really um a nice test and actually the editors started to do that too like tell us a book you love reading and they get everyone does it for them it's just the art people <laughs> that don't do it so it's a kind of fascinating I mean, thing jokes aside though that's actually really smart because it's a diplomatic way of putting this. I've had to work with a lot of different kinds of people. Yes. <laughs> and there's definitely a certain kind of artist who's really talented and amazing, but not great with text. 
And that's great in some contexts, but if part of your job is writing and answering a ton of emails and communicating with a bunch of people, that's not the job for you. Yeah. Like, be an illustrator, maybe. Like, do you can even be a graphic novelist. Like, maybe don't be in an office where you have to be writing 30 emails every single day. And the other thing is learning how to say why you like something. Yeah. Like, I think that's something, especially because you're having to defend your own art in front of a sales meeting, again, of people that don't know the book, that don't necessarily think of themselves as, like, art lovers. And even outside that, with the editorial team, with your Mm -hmm. publisher, people who may know the book really well, but you can't just kind of, like, hold up cue cards at them. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole process and conversation, too. Like, learn to speak about why you're passionate about a cover, because that's going to be a big part of your job, too. So, um, yeah, when it comes to... Advice for people, again, like, you can go to school for it. Don't feel like you can't. (laughs) But, yeah, just in your cover letter, even if they don't ask you, talk about design you love. I'm a big believer in, like, a little bit of brown nosing with that kind of thing. Like, talk about books that that company does you love, like, and why you love the design. And, you know, maybe the person that's reading your letter designed that book and was like, oh, my gosh. Also, look at books you love. Look at who the designer was or who the art director was or the editor was or the illustrator. Well, that you'd probably notice first, but, you know. (laughs) Um... And go on, like, Twitter and write a message at them. At them publicly and be like, oh, my gosh, this is really wonderful. I guarantee you they will click on your portfolio because everybody loves compliments. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have a kick-ass portfolio, they will remember that and they will put you in a little folder. And one day maybe they'll need an illustrator. One day maybe they'll need a freelance designer. Most of my freelance designers had come from people on Twitter that were just like, this is so cool. And I was like, you're so cool, too. Right. This is where I <laughs> have to bang my gong that I bang every time we talk about this kind of thing. Please put your contact information yes! on your, if not on your Twitter profile, on the first page of your website or your portfolio. And your mini comics. DMs on Twitter do not count as contact information. Yeah. You have to have an email address. I'm sorry. That's the world. Yeah. It's really also good to. if you have a name. I just went through this. I was putting together a list of illustrators to suggest for this job and got everybody's email addresses and did all the stuff. But yeah. then a couple times I was like, well, this is definitely the name of a Moomin character, but this is the only <laughs> name I could get for you. So I guess this is the one that the designer is going to have to use when they email you. <laughs> oh, well, you'll sort it out. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, names names on there is an important thing. Link to your portfolio. Yeah. Make a really clean portfolio that I don't have to click that much. Make it when I go to the first page. Ooh, another big thing. If you're interested in working in children's books, do not separate your portfolio into illustration and children's. It's like a big pet peeve. Um, also designers, too. Is that too. a thing people do? Yeah, a lot. A lot of them separate it to be like, this is my beautiful art, and here's my stuff for kids. And it's just like, oh, God, no. <laughs> like, just, you could do beautiful stuff for kids. Same thing with covers. Like, you'll see, like, these really thoughtful, lovely covers, and then you click on their, like, children's, like, design, and it's like, they've never looked at a children's book in their life or maybe looked at one in 1957 and haven't looked since. So like reading some children's books, some graphic novels, if you're trying to be a designer specifically of kids' books or graphic novels, very helpful. Best thing you could do is just read a ton. um, And again, figure out what you like and who you like and who your dream publisher to work for is. You know, look at those spines. Hopefully they'll be pretty. (laughs) Look at those finds. Get to know the logos. You know, figure out, you know, who is someone that you'd really like to work with and then 
you know. And also I've definitely had some friends that when they were starting out, they had cartoonist friends. And they're like, will you let me design your self-published mm. book for you? I'll either do it for free or like you can take me to lunch or whatever. But like I just want practice yeah. designing a book. And like so they did that a few times and it was like they got practice working with somebody else. They got to make, put a whole book together and it was sort of like yeah. a really good experience. And then they had that for their portfolio. Yeah. Like, I don't expect anyone to have tons of professional experience when I hire them, but if they don't if have any... entry level, probably. Yeah, if they're entry level, even entry level, if they entry level and they don't have a, a book cover in their portfolio, I feel very strange hiring them for book covers. And interiors are harder to see because no one puts that on their website. So if you do lovely interiors, put that on your website, too. Like, I like to see if you can lay out pretty text, you know? Okay, I feel like that is maybe... Most of our questions. I have one more dumb oh. question. I like dumb questions. It's not going to be dumb. No, it's a little bit dumb. So <laughs> I, of all the computer programs that you have to work with, oh. which is the one that makes you want to like throw your entire computer out the window? Probably Illustrator. Yeah, right? It's so terrible. It sucks because it's the best for lettering. It's the best for making a really awesome title of something, but it does not mesh well with others it's like the like kid that's like Wee! like really talented and running in a circle and you're like hey come and play with the others and they're like sure but then they don't really know the rules and like doesn't quite work quite right doesn't share well yeah there's a lot of things in illustrator that drive me crazy if i could do it in indesign i will like if i could find some way to do it in indesign or i will make a giant photoshop file that's like you know ridiculously high resolution i've managed to construct my entire artistic life around mm -hmm. doing everything in photoshop and indesign and i don't think i've used <laughs> illustrator in like 10 years at this point because i hate it so much i'm also not a professional designer so i can get away with it but. i have one designer on staff and I, she's incredible and she loves to design the covers in illustrator and then bring them into indesign and I recently had to work on one of her covers, and I was so just confused. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what to do. And I can't tell, like, hey, like, you know, my youngest designer, like, I don't understand this problem. <laughs> Take pity on this old woman. Explain this to me. Is there anything else about cover design that we didn't cover that you want to delve into? I mean... Just again, like... It's really good. It's good. And important. The pages would, like, fly everywhere, guys, if covers didn't exist. <laughs> that is a true thing. <laughs> It'd be so hard to read a book out of order. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I Again, the big thing for me usually is, like, I feel like the spine thing is my, like... That is my platform that I will die on. <laughs> be like, give me pretty spines. Give me pretty spines. I will buy a book because it has a pretty spine. That is how bad I've gotten with it now. I love this. Yeah. This is, is delicious to me. It is bad. I'm glad to have an ally in my spine <laughs> obsession. <laughs> so if people are listening to this episode and they're like, this kind of venable character, we wish to learn more, where can they <laughs> find you? Uh, well, one thing I will say first, that is my real middle name for everybody's like, oh, that's so funny. I'm like, no, that's my name. <laughs> um, I am Colleen AF on like everything. So Twitter, I'm Colleen AF. Uh, Instagram, Colleen AF. Um, Facebook, too. I'm fairly active on Facebook. And, yeah, Instagram's probably the best one for me. I'm a little quiet on Twitter except for, like, ALA Award Day. And then I am, like, the most obnoxious person in the world. If you don't watch the live feed and you're into books, like, what? Because it's the best, especially because tons of comics are getting recognition. And every year, more and more comics from small presses. like Yeah, yeah my friend Melanie just got the uh, Stonewall Award. I know. Yeah, they were very happy about that. Yeah, and the... Co oh. That book is so beautiful. Pencils. The colored pencils. So good. I also really love um, 
I lost my mind when Sacred Heart got the Alex because it was just this book that I was such a fan of, like in like mini comics. And the fact that it was something I'd been buying in mini comics for years that just won like a big library award, like, whew. Yeah. so yeah, it's if you want to hear like 5,000 librarians scream, if that's your jam. And the company that you're working for now is called Odd Dot, and they're online also. It's online. It's Odd Dot Books on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all the things. All the places. All the things. There's okay. a couple now that I'm like, I'm starting to feel a little old where they're like, we have a Dribble account. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And then I went on there and I was like, this is the best. It's like DeviantArt if DeviantArt actually had navigation. Oh my God. <laughs> DeviantArt, RIP, not really, but... Colleen, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about covers. This was awesome. Yay, you guys are the best. You are also the best. Aww. Also, your covers are very good. They're excellent. I, I like I like making covers. I like when they eventually become covers, because they're not covers for a long, long time. They're just like. things. Next time on Graphic Novel TK, we will be talking about cover blurbs and blurbs in general and what they are and whether they are useful and how to acquire them and when to acquire them and all these sorts of things. We're going to be talking with my editor, Diana, who is amazing and is literally emailing with me right now about this exact topic. Very exciting. She emailed me to say that she had turned into a velociraptor. So I feel like I'm getting the better out of this conversational <laughs> exchange than you. Yeah, look, look forward to that. Yes. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm baking a thing if I knew how to cook or bake. (laughs) Or like the cover cookie dough. Yeah, exactly. Put the chips in and then you put oven things. (laughs) (laughs) Do you put it in the oven? I'm not. I'm not a cook. I'll spend my time on it. InDesign is more my jam. (laughs) Not jam. Jam's not your jam. Jam is not my jam.